Being from Canada and a card-carrying metalhead myself, I've always been struck by the contrast between my country's strong worldwide contribution to metal and its total domestic disregard for the genre. It's only when outsiders like Sasha Gervasi swoop in to make a movie about Anvil does the music industry here at home hitch their wagon overnight to the metal train. With nothing against Anvil, I found the movie played up metal stereotypes, and in the end, true metal bands were largely ignored by the Anvil hoopla. Bands like Voivod, Annihilator, Malhavik, and Sacrifice, these bands that have influenced so many metal bands out there today, in my opinion, should have been the bands to have a movie made about them, but hey, that's just my opinion. I'm getting to my point here, and my point is, finally, there's a homegrown equalizer in the form of filmmaker Sam Dunn. Dunn and his partner Scott McFadden have been making documentaries on metal and hard rock since 2005. Their movies like Metal, Global Metal, Flight 666 on Iron Maiden, and Beyond the Lighted Stage about Rush have garnered worldwide acclaim and brought the genre some much-needed overdue respect. Recently, Nick Flanagan and I sat down with Sam to discuss his most recent project, Metal Evolution, an 11-part documentary television series about metal that had just finished its run on VH1, and to discuss exciting upcoming projects. It was a fun discussion in cramped quarters journeying outside of my place for the first remote podcast we've done. So once again, I have to thank Blue Mic Microphones for their Yeti mics for pulling it off. Skull Candy Headphones, and Vans Shoes for helping out the podcast as well. I also want to thank everyone out there with your reviews in your respective iTunes store. Now, I know I say this at the top of every episode, but I really mean it when I say we really appreciate everyone who has taken the time to listen to the podcast, and write a review, and or rate the podcast too. Now, I want to, I want to give a special thanks to Lee, who, after hearing the last podcast with Cassius Morris and myself, and hearing me say that I needed the Don Russ 1978 Kiss Trading Card Series, gave me the set. I am truly touched, so thank you so much, dude. Thank you for that. They are in good hands, because, well, because no hands will ever touch them again. I'm going to look at them, probably from far away, because... They might get scuffed by just my glare. So thank you very much, Lee, for for the trading card set. Uh, Okay, here we go. Sam Dunn, metalhead and filmmaker, or you can call him a metalhead filmmaker, is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. We are here in Banger Studio, Banger Films HQ in Toronto, Canada, with Mr. Sam Dunn of, oh my gosh, Metal, Global Metal, uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage, and Flight 666 fame, and of course his latest 
Project Metal Evolution. Mr. Sam Dunn is here with Nick Flanagan and myself. Hello, Sam. How are you doing today? Hi, guys. I am good. This hey, is going to be fun, and it's very cozy here. It's going to be really nice. I might take my shirt off. Or yeah, not. well, you know, your shirt's off, so it sets a nice <laughs> tone for the conversation. My shirt is on, and it will be staying on. I don't care how naked you guys I'm serious. The sweater's... Oh, you! Oh, you're not even joking. No, it's okay. happening. Guys. The right. Sweater is off. Let's get real. Pulling well, my pants up. But we just met. That's fine. That's better. <laughs> we, I love being nude around people I've just met. It's pretty much just how I operated in all of my twenties. Every conversation needs an icebreaker. So. <laughs> we have met in crazy places only, and almost all over the world. Yeah. Never yeah. in Toronto no. in a regular we were talking about this earlier like at a at a Starbucks or a coffee place. It's always in the most insane places this hyper reality worlds we meet in. The first time I met you was I believe in 2006, mm-hmm. which was the first time we played Vakan Open Air Festival, yeah. which features prominently in many of your films. Yeah, yeah. And I was I had to go up to you because we were the only Canadians at this metal festival. Yeah, no, it's funny. Our paths cross at metal locales. Like, it's true. We've never bumped into each other on the street. And we no. live in the same city. Yeah. And... Uh, not, not even at a show. That's right. That's right. We live we live entirely bonded through metal. But that probably happens with both of you more than, than not. You know, where you just see people in strange environments. Well, like, it, you, you know, know, you have that whole... At the risk of theorizing really early in the interview, I think there's something in that. It's like metal... People don't know how big metal is until they go somewhere that is about metal. Like, walking down the street, I never see another person wearing a Death Angel t-shirt, wearing a Morbid Angel t-shirt, or whatever. And yet, it's so big, and so... It's 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 just it's it's a it's a community of people that that you don't know is there until they all come together and then you realize holy fuck this thing is massive. So I find it interesting that it is you who is Canadian coming from Canada, coming from Toronto, who puts these movies out almost as a reaction to the environment around you. I am very openly critical about the music environment in our country. Note to listeners, Danko right. was gesturing a lot during making that point. <laughs> I am very, I, I, I try to curb a lot of my opinion because I know it could sound very bitter, but I liken a lot of the Canadian music that gets propped up uh, to the Starbucks playlist. Mm-hmm. And and knowing that you're from Canada and you're, you're, you are almost the ambassador of metal to mainstream people Mm -hmm. you make it very palatable for for your uncle and your aunt who think that it's all just noise to take seriously yeah well i mean that's it's not just me you know scott and i direct and produce together and and you know scott didn't grow up as a a sort of devout metalhead like i did you know and and i think it's through the combination of our perspectives uh-huh. that um, we managed to do that, you know, at the same time, like, you know, at the risk of getting biographical, you know, I grew up listening to metal and, and it was the music that I fell in love with as a kid that felt like it was 
my own music for the first time and it wasn't something that was on the radio or my parents listened to. But at the same time, I was I was captain of the basketball team and I was actually the valedictorian of my high school. And, and I lived sort of on the outskirts in Victoria, BC of a very kind of upper class conservative neighborhood that and these were the kids that I played baseball with and soccer with. So when you show up to baseball tryouts with an Iron Maiden back patch over your jersey in a small place like Victoria, which is a very homogenous, it's like you begin to realize how different you are. And mm. I've always felt from a very young age that I was kind of always put in these positions, whether I put myself in those positions or not, of being kind of an ambassador. Like I have to explain why I have a Slayer t-shirt to all these jock guys who I connect with through sports, right. but I don't connect through through music. So it's always been that kind of like role of like, don't you understand how fucking amazing and important this music is? Like right. I've felt like my entire life has been through that lens in a way. Canada has a lot of isolated <laughs> communities. Yeah. Even, you know, there's a lot of small towns a lot of small places. I mean, famously, that's where people getting into metal that that happens. You know, mm -hmm. like yeah, where you're sure. the uh, the one weirdo in your town. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, being in high school and uh, you you show up with an Iron Maiden or a Slayer shirt. When I was in high school, I went to uh, an academic school. It's really really academic, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember these kids stole my Raid and Blood tape on cassette. <laughs> they stole it. Yeah. And they gave it back to me the next day because they were scared. Because yeah. <laughs> when, the, yeah. you know, necrophobic, ultra-sacrifice, yeah. they got scared and they gave it back to me. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, don't blame them. <laughs> so that no. was my reality, yeah, too. Yeah, sure, like, right. You know, sure. being a fish out of water and, and, and you know, and yeah, everybody's kind yeah. of... Yeah, I guess, it, you know, to me, I was, I never identified with this uh, a particular viewpoint that exists in the metal community which is like this is ours you're not part of this so fuck off right uh you know i was always i was i've always been the preacher guy <laughs> like i've always been trying to i never understood that people didn't love it as much as me and maybe i was just boneheaded or stubborn or just insistent that I, I actually always felt that there was real musical value in this music, I think from a pretty young age, because, you know, like a lot of people who fall in love with metal also play music. I would argue probably disproportionately, except for maybe jazz, you know, more people who are into metal play an instrument than are into other forms of music. Right. Anyway, so I think people connect with metal because of the musicianship, because of the conviction of the music, because of the dexterity and the uh, and the precision that's required to to pull this music off, and I I guess I always heard that, and and I always baffled me that other people didn't like Slayer was my Beethoven right. mm -hmm. when I was thirteen, right? And I and I just I'm like you can't understand how hard it is to do what King and Hanneman are doing right there. Like that is so fucking hard to do and make it not sound like complete noise. Like that you can actually hear what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I guess that's just always been the way I've thought about 
other forms of music too, but because of metal was so close to my heart and it was always that uphill battle. It was always that like, I'm standing at the bottom of the mountain, looking up at the top and going, how the fuck am I going to climb this thing? That, that I've always felt strongly about the metal. So that would be another question I, I, I had that you kind of touched on for a second is, is did you have that hatred of all other things that sometimes comes with liking metal or liking punk or liking rap, you know, focusing on one genre? Like, did you wind up going, man, fuck Bob Seger. That guy's a jerk. Yeah, no, I mean. Bob Seger. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I mean, part of this rap crap. Well, right. it was more like the Duran Durans of the world. Sure. Like, you know, that's what was popular when I was in junior high and, and high school. And, and I guess that by necessity, it's also about being a teenager that you just mm. wanted to assert who you are. And that was different than most of what was going on around me. Um, so yeah, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I had a hate on probably for a lot of music <laughs> at that time. Depeche but Mode same, weren't your favorite? No, but at the same time, you know, again, you know, biographically, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of music being played and I'm pretty fortunate that my mom and dad were listening to the Beatles and Hendrix and, and, and cream and some other really bizarre, like my parents Screaming are such. huge, huge fans of middle Eastern music. So I had this like really bizarre wow, that's yeah. cool. kind of music and my dad played guitar and played the oud which mm. is you know yeah, an acoustic yeah. um hamza el din my parents had similarly they because the 60s parent weird 60s parents I'm, I'm a, they had all exactly what you're saying all these vinyl yeah and they had these yeah. this nubian music and weird middle eastern yeah, yeah. Stuff. So, so i was lucky that i grew up in a household where i could crank slayer and they hated it uh-huh. and they wanted me to turn it down but they kind of didn't have a lot of ground to stand on because a lot of the music they were listening to too was pretty eccentric. Mm-hmm. So they they gave me enough space that they understood that that was part of growing up and part of loving music that you love. So I always wanted to ask you how many how many episodes of Connections with James Burke have you watched? None. Really? Never. And how about how many uh, Cosmos with Carl Sagan? Never. Really? Never. Really? Because because. <laughs> Watching your movies, James Burke and Carl Sagan are two guys that you remind me of. Interesting. And I thought that those would be your biggest influences as much as like a Bruce Dickinson or a, or a Rob Halford would be. I couldn't tell you who they are beyond one of them has a science fiction connection, I think. No, completely. It's funny, you know, people ask about influences from filmmaking perspective. And Scott and I always say we knew what we didn't want to do. And so... We didn't want to create yet another kind of from the outsider looking into this phenomenon called metal that had this sort of detached perspective and um, sort of voice of God. Newspaper thing. headlines. Yeah, it was more for us. And I almost, you know, now having the benefit of looking back and we've had success, which is fantastic. It's like. You know, I'm glad it was that way because we, it was, it was more, we didn't have baggage in the sense that we wanted to do metal in a certain way. We found it ourselves. I think, I think, you know, the, the, the viewer, when they see, especially with metal evolution, I think you let, you let your guard down a few times 
during the whole season. Yeah. I, I remember, especially when you're interviewing all those Lincoln Park fans. Yeah. <laughs> and you just you just blurt it out. You just yeah. say, uh, like, then, you know, why don't I think you say, like, why don't I like him or something? Yeah. Well, we I can tell you. <laughs> you got this weird rapper guy, and then the the vocals are <laughs> also from some new generation style that okay. is impossible to understand exactly where it came yeah, from. Totally. So it's hard to place. Alien life form. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, I also wanted to ask you. Funky drums. Did yeah. you take? Have you take? Did you? Because I know you went to York. I went to York too. Yeah. Did you take Rob Bowman's class? No. Um. It's funny. I I didn't meet Rob Bowman. Till after we had started Headbangers Journey, and who's Rob needed, Bowman? Rob Bowman oh, sorry. is yeah. the the smartest man on earth. Okay, he is a musicologist at York University, who's won Grammy awards for liner note writing. And if you sit down yeah. with this guy, when it comes to music, he pretty much knows everything about everything. It's really frightening. But we didn't know him until we started piecing our team together for oh, okay. Headbangers Journey and then we decided okay we need some researchers to help us who oh, so we helped ask, you. Oh, let's okay. ask Rob but I have a separate life in academically like my interests um, when I did my BA and my MA were nothing to do with music I always kept those worlds separate because that's why I asked about James Burke and that's why yeah, I'm asking about Rob I, I, I grew up with a fat I mean I studied anthropology so my fascination has always been about human culture, human geography, um, people's identities. And uh, my, my work was actually in understanding the experience of refugee communities that had left war-torn countries and moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. That's what I was actually studying. And, and it's pretty so, metal. So, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> oddly, I was kind of in, you know, <laughs> yeah, experiences <laughs> of suffering. You know, it's, maybe it's really right. weird. There's some weird kind of deep psychological profile emerging here. But it's sort of... It was very different, and I, w- I had a lot of anxiety about marrying my academic interest and my music interest because I kind of like to keep the world separate because it kept life interesting, and I didn't want everything to kind of come together and you know begin to feel claustrophobic. But the breakthrough moment for me was reading Robert Walser's book, Running with the Devil, and Dina Weinstein's book on heavy metal, two academic studies of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. I literally just one day woke up and thought, I wonder if anyone's done that. And I read them in like three days. And I was like, the, these are the most amazing, this is amazing. I can't believe that this has been done. And then at that point, that's when I started to think, well, no one's ever really done a great book on the history of metal. At that time, this is before Ian Christie's book, Silent of the Beast had come out and a lot has happened since anyway. Scott and I are old friends. Scott had background in music and film. I taught. We talked about the idea, and he said, "Well, what about a documentary?" And then that's that's the story we've told many times. Right? Are you you know George Vale? Yeah, videographer, yeah. filmmaker. He's made a couple of our videos. We used to be roommates. Yeah. And when I was rooming with George, he was telling me, "Oh yeah, I'm shooting for this documentary on metal," and of course that piqued my interest. I'm like, <laughs> "Someone's making a documentary on metal?" Like. From what perspective? That was a long time ago. It was in 99, 2000. Yeah. And uh, I scoffed at the idea. Uh-huh. I was like, there's just no way yeah. that anyone can pull that off uh-huh. without it just like making the rounds of some like local indie film festival and yeah. everybody gets a pat on the back. Yeah. And lo- and he showed me some footage that he had shot of The Haunted. Yeah. Which in a way, in a backwards way, turned me back onto metal 
that I had, there had been like, and even Kerry King says it in Metal Evolution. There was like a 12 year break where he says like, where have I been for 12 years? And I, when I saw that on Metal Evolution, I go, that break that Kerry King had with metal kind of, this Mm -hmm. disconnect. Yeah. Was my disconnect. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. I think a lot of us went through. I went through that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I and watching George's footage on the haunted, and then he gave me, made me do it. I was like, this is the metal that I've been waiting for a decade for for a band to make. Yeah, and then it was a matter of catch, you know, catching up for the last ten years. Yeah, and then then I'm back. Then I'm back on. It's a similar experience for a lot of people. You know, I played in almost exclusively thrash and death metal bands up until like my early 20s and i it i think because if you're a musician too you're you're a restless soul and you're always looking for something different you know it's a bit of a spot you're, right. you're a bit of a sponge and so i was listening to metal but because i was also playing music i just got bored about yet another roadrunner release that sounds just Another band that sounds just trying to sound like Chuck Schulding or another band that's trying to sound like Pestilence or whatever. You, you were know? listening and to a lot of Oud music. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I discovered Jaco Pistorius and I went fucking we jazz our, on people's right. ass. And that was like, I went on a, on a journey that took me away from metal, right. uh, really far away from metal. So I think your experience, Carrie's experience, and my experience, there's a lot of other people out there that went through that. And I have a feeling the two of us, and and kind of just kind of sussing you out by watching your work, I think we have a very, very similar background when it comes to at least heavy metal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You like, I think you like the same types of metal and your... Your, your your way your route is is similar to mine rap metal is it mostly rap metal that you guys <laughs> there's a few in? no insane clown posse actually <laughs> actually there is a whole there is a whole episode you did on new metal but but yeah. there's there's a few there's a few things that we, we, you show up you Sorry show up to uh, Ricky Rocket from Poison the drummer of Poison you show up to his ranch yeah and Poison's always been a, a band that's polarized a lot of people in the metal community I've always been someone who very quietly liked them. Mm. I have all mm. the records, and I, yeah. like, I had no problems with Poison ever, mm. ever. No matter what my friends said about them, I had no problems. I think "Look What the Cat Dragged In" is an, a wicked record. Yeah. I'm saying it on the podcast now. Everybody can <laughs> eat me if they don't like it. But you show up to Ricky Rocket's ranch wearing a Voivod T-shirt, <laughs> which I thought was the most metal thing. You're you're kind of going, hey guys. I'm at Ricky Rocket's house, but I am wearing the boy butt shirt, so I can talk to him, all right? And I just do this and, and do it. And I've always thought Ricky Rocket was a really, he came off always as a really funny, fun, nice guy. Yeah. And I thought he was there, too. Well, I mean, in many ways, you know, we talked about new metal and, and glam metal because they're the two great polarizers in the metal world. And, you know, we, we decided that I I, I should state my opinion very clearly right but it not out of you know uh for selfish reasons but because there are many people that share that opinion and so when just thinking about a storytelling from a storytelling perspective that's a good tool you know if you've got one at least one half of people on your side but the other half isn't it's a great way to get into an episode because it's like okay you know 
round one, ding ding, here we go. What's but you're also happen? you're also you're also communicating to me through your t-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't have any poison shirts. That's on so. you. That's on you. But I think what we tried that, That'll to, come up at the trial. Yeah. He communicated with me by his Danko is wearing fishnets in bright pink. Um, but no, we, 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 um, we felt it was important to really address that debate head on uh, and acknowledge the fact that a lot of people hated this, a lot of people loved it, and it was like... It was like the wall that divided people in well, the eighties. It still is. I mean, in, that in Game episode. of Thrones. It's and the wall. And then new metal. Ice. And then new metal in new <laughs> metal in the nineties was the same thing all yes, over again. Yes, it was. Again. And I'm very with you on new metal. But when it came to the glam metal episode, there was a few things that you know. I'm in a rock band. I'm not in a metal band. So obviously, yeah. you could put two and two together. I lean. There's leanings for me personally towards certain aspects of glam glam metal. Sure, faster pussycat. Yeah. Although I will consider myself a thrasher above everything else. Right, right. Um, but how you threw, and I must say this as a criticism, how you threw consistently for the whole episode, you threw Tom Kiefer and Cinderella under the fucking bus. <laughs> Every time you negatively referred to glam rock, you would, you would go to a still photograph of Cinderella playing on stage. And I have said this and I've written about it. If anyone, forget about the, 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 the transvestite album cover. Yeah. Listen to Night Songs and Tom Kiefer sounds like, and I'll say, I swear to God, sounds like Steven Tyler Brian yeah. Johnson yeah. and a little bit of Dio. Well, it's an interesting story because there that, was that sound is me sitting back on the chair, decompressing beating. after the Tom yeah. Kiefer sermon. <laughs> uh, the I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me of a portion of the interview that I did with Derek Shulman, of course, who knows Tom very well, signed Cinderella, worked with Bon Jovi, you know, long and illustrious career, great interview, smart guy. He talked about that and, and it was our original hope that we would find a way to wedge that into the episode. And mm-hmm. there's a glimmer of it in the episode yeah. when when Derek talks about this group of young kids hearing Tom's new band, which is this fantastic blues spirited band, this guy with this great voice and this great songwriting. And Derek tells these, they ask, well, who is this? And he says, he says, Tom Kiefer. And the kids go, Oh, really? That there's this, I want to take those kids and I want to fucking strangle. <laughs> but the, 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 the the subtext there, of course, is that he cannot uh, escape the, the shackles of the glam metal uh, right. association, right? Yeah. So you're absolutely right, and there are, there are there I'm sure there are many other stories like Tom's mm. that exist out there. And I guess with our goal, you know, with the glam metal episode was was actually to put a human dimension to the story. Mm-hmm. And speaking personally, one of my proudest moments of the entire series and really of probably everything we've done is the moment with with Ricky Rocket when I feel like finally we get to hear Ricky's own version of the story which is this is exactly what we wanted to do we wanted to piss people off because we knew that this band that looked like women that created these pop songs 
was going to, this is exactly what we wanted to do. We weren't the product of some record executive vision. We weren't the boy band of metal that a lot of people thought we were. And I admit it, I say right at the top, that's what I thought a lot of this stuff was. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, the glam metal episode for us was to put a human dimension to a period of metal that's really all it's ever been about is the Sunset Strip, yeah. booze, chicks, and and getting fucked up. Right. But getting into that like break, that the the metal break period is because I was kind of getting in metal in the in the nineties a lot too. But I found this website metalsludge.com. Do you guys remember the yeah. website? It's yeah. still around probably. Yeah. yeah. And that was what I was checking on the internet probably from the age of eighteen to like twenty four. And that was primarily glam coverage. Yeah. You know, that was a lot of Janie Lane, a lot of... Because, and you talked about the human dimension. I feel like that's what all glam had going for it, were these actual personalities. Right, right. Who were out there having sex with their fans. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and they, 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 they were almost, you know, reachable or at least very shit-talkable, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. that was a big deal. It, had, it, it sustained... I mean, you need villains, Oh, yeah. Also, you know, especially sure. in metal, you know, there's always the things you hate and, you know, and you hate, you know, so, but then uh, the other thing that was funny to me was that chromium dioxide zine that our, uh, my friend Dave does had this article in it about how glam metal is like the true black metal in terms of how they live. <laughs> Like they live so badly, uh, decadently, you know, right. so decadently that it's, it's actually, true, actually way more godless, one. right? Right. You know, if you're like, <laughs> That's great. I, I That's did great. not pioneer that thought, but yeah, it's uh, it was it's super funny to me. I still see it through those eyes of when I was 14, and everybody thought I was a fucking loser because I liked Slayer, and then the next day. Everyone comes to school. Uh, you, you were, by the way, and, and so was I. <laughs> uh, that's true. We, I mean, we that, were. We were. There, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone comes to school with a Master of Puppets t-shirt, and then everyone comes oh, right. to school with um, with a Theater of Pain t-shirt, and it's like, you know, when you're 14, you're like, you are all fucking hypocrites. Okay. You know, and that that's really the filter that that I think a lot of metal fans see glam metal, you know, is through that perspective of when you're a teenager, you you're trying to figure out who the fuck you are, life is confusing, and it's like the only thing you can find that really feels like you understand and you have control of is the fact that you can recite Rain and Blood from beginning to end. No, I know I know that exact feeling. No, <laughs> you I know, know that exactly. that's where that comes from. Right. And I think always the goal with what we do in terms of the films is to is to to touch on that enough to get people to come along with us for the journey, but without without running down the rabbit hole of of nerd nerddom too much where we lose the perspective of you the do, bigger though. story. But you do and and that's yeah. why I like that's why to me and especially in the hypercritical world of metal. Yeah. Everybody's a critic and yeah. there's so many opinions. Um I think you've come off pretty scot free and it has to do a lot of the time with your selection of interviewees. Mm -hmm. Uh I remember what in watching the series on my couch and then I'd be like, 
why is Frankie Benali being asked another question? Why do we care about Frankie Benali? And then, and then, and then, and then there's like, then you got really down to the nitty gritty, and you got like Michael Sweet, and you yeah. got um, a Thomas Lindbergh, right. and you got uh, like really like people. What I'm saying is a cast of characters other than the regular fare of Slash, Nikki Six. Uh, yeah. Lemmy, yeah. Uh, you know, just your, the, the ones you go to. Bruce yeah. Dickinson, you know, Rob Halford. Yeah, okay, we, yeah, or, or Paul Stanley, or, or not Paul Stanley, but you know what I mean. Yeah. These yeah. like larger than life, everybody, they do, do, they do a million interviews. They're the talking heads, CNN or, or whatever news station will go to them. Yeah. But you go actually a little one level deeper and yeah. it told, it showed to me, and I think it showed to a lot of people that. Oh, this guy knows who to talk to. This guy knows who to call. Yeah. And these, you know, but well, Frankie Benelli, dude, like how many times you got to use this guy's interview? He's, he's such good a interview, great, though. Great, obviously, he was. When he says, I heard the name Eddie Van Halen, I thought this guy's a Dutch painter. Like, right. that's funny. <laughs> that's a great line. You cannot not put sure. that in the show. Yeah. But I think our approach, it's about storytelling and the storytelling stories are always best told by the people that were there. And we, we, we've always resisted what is the more conventional TV approach to music, which is, okay, we're going to do an 11 episode show on metal. Let's, let's fly 30 people into Toronto for a few days and interview those 30 people about hundreds of years of music. No, we drive to Thomas Lindbergh's house in the middle of winter in Gothenburg, Sweden and sit in his kitchen and drink a Heineken and ask him where the fuck did the at the gate sound come from? This is <laughs> it's great. It's it's storytelling. It's also anthropology. It's about going to the people who are part of the story. Right. It you know it means well. And you I've get got your... more gray hair now than I did two years oh, okay. ago. It's a but fucking more lot air of miles. Work. And well, <laughs> there's air miles, which is a bonus, but. It really, um, it, it, it's the harder way to do it. And you got your Disfear album signed. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I feel that you do these things for. Because you get like, Billy Gibbons is like, first of all, he's in it for like three lines for the whole series. But yeah. You, you, just what you said to me is you go to Billy Gibbons. And I'm thinking, he must be going to get his but record the, the, signed. Here, Come I mean, on. There, there's, I think there's, there's a philosophy behind that too, is that there, you know, I don't remember the name of the, the great historian who said the people who have the greatest view of history are the people who are at the bottom, that they're the ones that actually really understand what's going on because they have to, their effect, people who are at the bottom are affected by everything that happens at the top right. and it doesn't happen the other way around. So when you say my, the bottom. My point you... being that Tom, I'm more excited about talking to Thomas Lindbergh than I am Gene Simmons. Right. right. So I think that it's it's there's a certain advantage to our approach that we can see it from the bottom up uh, because we we you know those parts of the story of metal are just as important to us as having Vince Neil talk again about living right. on Sunset Strip and girls coming in the door and jumping out the window. Right. You know, and this kind of whole thing that people have heard before, you know, that's, you got to serve it up on a platter sometimes to of people course. and give them the stories that they love. You got to talk about the chicken incident with Alice Cooper in 1969 at Varsity. Otherwise people are going to go, why did, 
Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. But for at the same time, tenth time, we like yeah. to temper that with going to the people that you you'd least expect. Yeah. No, no, it's great. Plus, if you interviewed Gene Simmons, like he'd probably hurt your feelings at some point. You know, like he'd say something hurtful. <laughs> Gene Simmons <laughs> is the only person out of hundreds and hundreds of interviews that we've done that we were set up to do the interview. We were sitting in his office on Sunset Strip, all ready to go. We knew we only had thirty minutes with Gene Simmons. This is for Beyond the Lighted Stage. He comes in and he goes, that's not how you light an interview. And we're like, oh, oh, here we go. Right. We've done this a few times, we think. But yeah, Gene, Gene's like hard it. to please. Yeah. Yeah. We, had a, we were offered a chance uh, five years ago when he, was, when he was working on what became Family Jewels. Yeah. So Gene Simmons is working on a reality show. Do you want to be the band that plays, that backs him up and he'll sing? And my first instinct was to go, yeah, oh my God, like Gene Simmons is one of my personal musical heroes. I would love to do it. And five minutes later, I said, I would never do that. <laughs> Just knowing what I know and what I've heard about Gene and yeah. what happened was the night that this event that we played in this, for this Philadelphia radio station happened, they got the other band on the bill, said yes. So during soundcheck, we watched Gene basically discipline everybody on how to play a one of the a Beatles song yeah. properly. These guys were like one degree away from being studio musicians. Yeah. They were doing covers like like the records. Yeah. And Gene was playing it up for the camera and he was, you know, cuz yeah, the cameras yeah, were there. Yeah. And I would be devastated if I had to to go through that with Gene. And I yeah. just I just yeah. knew that he suicide would... level? No. Well, you never know. <laughs> You're a big Kiss fan. I am a big Kiss fan. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, I mean, just back to that discussion about, you know, which stories to tell and who to go and talk and to tell them, you know, like it is it is part of our approach that we've always tried, I think, to answer some of the questions that the fans themselves have long wanted to answer. Some of your some of your interview selections were, were very interesting. Like it was almost as if you invited these bands on just so you can go so why'd you do what you did? Like yeah. Creed, yeah. I felt had to defend themselves. And that was the, the crux of the whole interview. Yeah. Was there more to it? Like it, during the interview, did you kind of like throw them some softball questions so they didn't feel like they were getting under the, <laughs> you were extracting what you needed? No, we talked about So how's the tour going? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. What's a new album? I've uh, never, I've, I've never asked the question, how's the tour going? Right. And I, and I think that that's exactly <laughs> why, like that, that's an indication of why we've always tried to do something different, you know? And I think going back to Headbangers Journey, when we finally, after three years of trying to get money together, getting laughed out of boardrooms because we wanted to make a smart film about making metal and people laughing at us, you know, finally, once we started to gain traction and, you know, we got the support of Rod Smallwood from Iron Maiden and we got the interview with Bruce and then slowly the snowball started to grow. Um, we began to realize that it was precisely because we weren't asking the question, how's the tour going? Yeah, it works for me, too. I'm I, over the yeah. years, I've gone from being a very, very excited and overzealous interviewee yeah. to, okay, like, 
I really just want to check my email. What the <laughs> fuck do you want to ask me? Yeah. How and am it, I going to be? It's I, hurt. I have to. I have to curb my behavior with some of the interviewers yeah, because they totally. are. When an yeah. interviewer comes up to me and starts asking me these out of the box questions, then I'm I'm engaged with them for as long as they want me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can we talk about your? upcoming projects or Mm -hmm. that you're working on right now in fact we had to reschedule this podcast because you've been called out to fly out and to be with alice cooper because you're working on a film about him yeah well we're working on two projects uh right now one is a feature documentary on on alice cooper awesome Uh, yeah we first met alice when we did headbangers journey and then of course uh we interviewed him a couple times again for metal evolution and uh, it's being spearheaded uh, by uh, Reg Harkema, who's who's working here at Banger and is an award-winning uh, director and and an editor as well. And really, the the story we're telling is from the beginning of Alice's life up to his comeback in the mid '80s, and really looking at this sort of Jekyll and Hyde character. That he is, um, you know, Alice is Alice, but of course, Alice is also Vincent Fernier, and um, it is the story of of how the Alice Cooper cre- character was created, and just is is a really. It, I think it's going to be a real fascinating tale of 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 Alice's life, um, and his music. And the, the 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 battles that he's endured in his life, it's quite fascinating. It's interesting. I'm not. I've never been a huge fan of Alice's music. I don't know his music intimately, mm. and so I'm learning a lot during the process about. Um, you know, he did battle a lot of health issues when he was a kid. Um, his father uh, was 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 a pastor. He was raised religiously. He rebelled against the church. He went to L.A., he hung out with Jim Morrison, and um, he basically became the nightmare (laughs) on stage. He was the villain. But we could talk about the other movie, too, which is about Satan. I'd love to, because that's (laughs) a very, very... uh, That's a a subject I'm always thinking about. We're all Satanists here, right? Just, I mean, mean, when you you break it down to what the Church of Satan believes yeah a lot of people are satanists without knowing sure that movie wall street that was all about satan i mean it's yeah. it's me right that's the the church of satan is just me right it's just like the power of yeah, you, yeah. yeah. you know of, of, how how's that coming along is that well, have a metal vein or is it strictly uh, just not not so much i mean for us it's really our first opportunity to do something that's tackle a subject that's obviously related to what we've done metallic is moving in a new direction and we're really excited about that That's you know great. we're always going to do music related stuff and we're always going to do metal related stuff but we want to do other stuff as well and the film is a modern history of satan that zeroes in on the influence of the devil in popular culture so it's primarily about film and literature and music since the 1960s to present day so it's not really a film about religion or theology per se although we do touch on Church of Satan. Where, uh-huh. Yeah, where does the term Satan come from, sure. and how has that changed? We do touch on the Church of Satan and That's what that really... was all about, and why why it emerged. Uh, what was it really about? Um, 
all of those things. So any spooky shit happening during the production? Right. That's, what, uh, that's what everyone's. Well, about. it's funny you ask. <laughs> the reason why we had to reschedule this interview is because tonight we're flying to Rome, um, because tomorrow we're interviewing the chief exorcist of the Vatican. Holy shit. It's amazing. So that's fucking heavier than, sorry, man, Alice Cooper, (laughs) but it is pretty fucking heavy. So father Gabriel Amorth is the head. Oh my God. I just got a chill when you said his name of the, uh, Amorth is that sounds pretty metal. Well, could be an immortal. He isn't a fan of metal. (laughs) Right. Uh, and that's partly what we'll talk about, but he has, um, for a long time, um, done, you know, felt that uh, the devil is among us and the devil needs to be removed um, from our spirits, our bodies, and that um, the devil is very much alive and well in our modern world. So uh, I don't know if I'll burst into flames when I walk into his office. My question is... Bring him a copy of Rain and Blood to are you gonna Are you going to show up wearing that Death Angel t-shirt you're, <laughs> yeah. you're wearing I debated, right now? I, 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 maybe. Have your Voivod shirt moment. He's poison. Have your Ricky <laughs> Rocket shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Death Angel was suitable for the Vatican. It's Death Angel. That's right. It's, it's, a, right. it's you know, we're... we're it's an angel. There's it's like an angel, angel of death. It sounds you know, like you had to talk to him a lot of vetting like uh, like he seemed you're pretty familiar with his yeah well we've done a lot of research and he's not the easiest guy to get especially considering it's easter weekend right and 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 what kind of (laughs) atheist crap does this guy (laughs) (laughs) this guy should be like imagine you are getting maybe we'll discover mass after mass wouldn't that suck if you arrive at the vatican and they're just like hey you got punked italian punked italian we'll discover that he needs to be exercised (laughs) That would be amazing. That would be amazing. (laughs) 